Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our scripture passage today comes from uh, two sources, John 3, 14 through 21, and Romans 1, 16 to 17. And let's listen for what God has to say to us. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only Son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light, and don't come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light, so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. And our next passage comes from Romans 1, verses 16 through 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation to all who have faith in God, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's righteousness is being revealed in the gospel from faithfulness for faith. As it is written, the righteous person will live by faith. May God bless our understanding um, in the hearing and reading of this scripture this morning. Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift that it is to come together in worship and praise, to seek out understanding of who you are and how you are in this world, to know that you are near and that you are still speaking even when the world would rather have us believe that we should listen to other voices and other messages. Be with us in this moment. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what it is that your spirit is saying to us, and may we receive it, the challenge, the love, the grace, the joy and even the hard truths, trusting and knowing that you are, in fact, intentional about the ways that you move, not just in our lives, but in this world altogether. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I recently read about um, a, a report where, that talked about, a Pew Research um, report, um, that talked about how millennials reported making more personal improvement commitments than any generation before them. They spend twice as much as boomers on self-care practices like workout regimes, diet plans, life coaching, therapy, and apps to improve their personal well-being. There are monthly self-care kits that you can subscribe to, and Solange can sing to you about self-care while you're opening it up. Someone even created a self-care Twitter bot that will offer reminders to you periodically throughout the day to help you improve your health and well-being. Maybe um, think reminders to breathe, reminders to stand up, reminders to look at, at trees uh, throughout the day. 
And it's not that self-care is an especially new concept. There's actually a lot of evidence um, of it being mentioned um, back even to the time of ancient Greece. The difference for this moment in time is that access to information and um, about self-care, not only about how important it is, but actually how to practice it, is much more readily available thanks to folks like Dr. Phil, Dr. Google, and maybe even Dr. Oprah. Access can make all the difference for understanding, can make all the difference for ownership, and ultimately for self-determination in how you live and what you believe. And access is what Jesus is talking about in our scripture passage for today. You may be familiar with this passage. We actually talked about um, the portion that uh, comes just before what was read um, last January. Nicodemus is a local ruler who belonged to the highest governing body of Jewish leadership. He was curious to hear what Jesus had been teaching and doing, and so he wants to know more. But he doesn't want anyone to know about it, so he kind of like sets up this secret meeting at night. And they have this whole back and forth about being born again, but Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Or maybe he doesn't want to get it. So, but either way, Jesus tries a different approach, right? Um, he's a teacher, so he knows that as a leader in the community, Nicodemus knows his Jewish history. So he goes back to this kind of weird story about people, um, the people of Israel who were dying from poisonous snake bites. God instructed Moses to make an image of one of these kind of these poisonous snakes and to lift it up on a on a pole so that everyone can see it. Anyone who had been bitten. Um, could look at that image on the pole, and they would live. So Jesus is referring to this sort of obscure story when he talks about himself in the third person being lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And the word here that gets translated as lifted up could actually go two ways. It could literally mean being lifted up, like when Moses lifts up this image of the snake, or it could mean being lifted up as in, like, elevated in praise or revered in spirit, right? So, and most scholars um, assume that Jesus, because he's kind of like a double entendre sort of guy, he intends both meanings when he, ta- when he uses this word. And this is important, I think, because what Jesus is trying to do is drive home that the gospel, the story of God's love and message of wholeness of life for all, shows up in real places of pain, real circumstances of systemic injustice, and with a deep kind of skin-in-the-game, flesh-and-blood um, kind of cost. This is the cross. This is what is being lifted up, literally. But then the other part of the lifting up is about this spectacular imagination and fierce joy and audacious hope. It's about claiming and proclaiming a God whose story is love and whose message is life. Because because of and even beyond the cross itself. So there's the cross and then there's like the meaning of the cross and what the cross injects in the world, right? Two kinds of lifting up. Because as the activist and poet um, Audre Lorde put it, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. In other words, in a world that would seek your diminishment, in a world that is full of poison and pain, death and destruction, imagination, joyful, hopeful existence, is resistance. So then in this kind of world, how do you get people to rest their eyes on what is good and life-giving? How do we tell, help people not just see but access this healing, transformative, life-giving possibility made available by God. This is the question of our new sermon series about making the gospel, the story of God's love, God's message of wholeness of life for all. This is the question of our new sermon series, Shareable. 
And this is what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand, to get born again, to get woke to. By the very story he's referencing, Jesus is saying that this healing, this reconciling work of God isn't just for a chosen few. It's for everyone and anyone who doesn't know and doesn't know how. Access. Access to knowing God's life-giving, wholeness-making love. Access to receiving God's life-giving, wholeness-making love. We have access. Every time we come to church, every time we fellowship in small groups or over meals, every time we make our voices known to our representatives as an expression of our faith convictions, when we do these things, we are accessing God's story of love and we are embodying God's promise of wholeness of life for all. But, but so what, right? What does this access mean for us? And more importantly, what does this access demand from us? The answer to the first question is different for each person because God's love takes shape in so many different ways and God's healing is unique to our experiences and who we are. So I'm going to ask you, think about this, how, what is one way that the story of God's love, that God's message of wholeness of life for all, what is one way, one way in your life that this has taken shape um, in your life or made an impact on your life? Take a minute to think about that. And if you are feeling uh, brave or sharing, in a sharing mood, um, maybe share that with someone next to you. What is one way that the story of God's love and God's message of wholeness of life for all has taken shape or made an impact on your life? So if you had one word to describe what you shared or maybe what you thought of, what would it be? Bold. Relevant. Community. Passion. Courage. Grace. Healing. Filled. This is what access means for us. But that's not the end, because there's also something that access demands of us. The short version is that access should, to use a biblical term, beget access. People who have accessed God's love and are being changed by it, people who are moving toward wholeness, we actually have an obligation to help others know where we got it from. We don't get to climb up the ladder and then pull the ladder up behind us. Well, that sounds an awful lot like evangelism, you might be thinking. Yeah, that's because it is. Um, and maybe this idea of evangelism freaks you out a little because you don't want to be one of those people, right? You know, those people who do cringeworthy uh, engagement photos with Jesus or people, who <laughs> or people who come across as obnoxious or people who are just downright spiritually abusive. In the efforts to spread Jesus' good news of wholeness of life for all, things can get really weird and distorted and even terrible. We've seen a lot of ish go down in Jesus' name that should not be anywhere near Jesus' name. So we, do we just scrap the whole thing? Do we just walk away from the project and say to the rest of the world, good luck with that, right? Or do we, maybe uh, if, if you're a good liberal, right, maybe uh, do you turn toward good civic values? talking about things like marriage equality and eco-justice and mass incarceration through frameworks of sociology or All Things Considered or the latest episode of Stephen Colbert. 
If that's the case, though, then I wonder why you're here. While these are not bad ways of thinking about things, they're not necessarily rooted in the message of love or vision of wholeness of life for all that Jesus came to bring. It stinks that the brand of Christianity uh, most people are familiar with is a distortion. It really does. But we can't let that stop us. We're called to be a people of courage. If, if you wilt at the thought of giving, getting lumped together with a bunch of other yahoos, I have to wonder, what is the substance of your faith? The essence of God's love story and wholeness message is deeply compelling and powerfully transformative. But there is a legitimate question to be asked about strategy, right? How do we live up to our responsibility without being a total tool in the process? That is the real question. And that's where your story, what you shared earlier, actually comes in. You don't have to be an expert about anything but your own story. You don't have to be an expert about anything but your own story when it comes to sharing about God's love and Jesus' message. You don't have to have a GED or a PhD to let people know about the ways that God has moved in your life. You simply need authenticity, courage, and love. These are the pages on which the gospel is written. A story of life and living in a world that far too often speaks death. I recently read about a trial involving a woman named Michelle Carter. Three years ago, her boyfriend at the time, Conrad Roy, sat in his pickup truck, wavering in his plan to kill himself. He got out and texted his girlfriend that he was scared, and she said, get back in. He did, and at 18 years old, after battling depression and suicidal thoughts, he ended his life. After his death, it was discovered that there were dozens upon dozens of text messages from Michelle that had pushed Roy to kill himself. There were messages that made him, that she basically made him sound like a coward for not following through. There were messages that she, she sent to him assuring him that it was okay to feel scared, to just follow through with it. Message after message after message telling him essentially that he would be better off dead. And the courts are trying to decide whether or not Michelle is responsible for Conrad's actions. She wasn't there when he did it. But I think it's pretty clear that she's not free of influence. Now, this is a dramatic example, right? But you only need to, to, to read the comments section of any news article to see variations on this same theme of death, of hatred, of disregard for each other everywhere. We live in a world that is far too comfortable, eager even sometimes, delighting even sometimes, to speak death instead of life. Poisonous snake bites spreading venom, weakening our spirits and our health, undercutting our strength. We live in a world that is saturated in poison, and the only thing that will save us is to look up and look upon the source of our healing and salvation. There are many people I know here, many people I know here, who have struggled with thoughts and messages of hate and devaluation, who continue to do so. And sometimes the only thing that's keeping them from giving in and believing in these messages is the counter-message that they hear in this space. From me, from you in this room, when you give testimony, from, from the conversations that you have in small groups and over food, through the music that we sing. We have to practice courage in sharing God's love story and life message with the world around us. 
there are more, way more who are all too willing to speak death. It's so much easier to cut someone down than to tell them that they could be something more. People point, we need to point people <laughs> to that story and to that message, to remind them that they can live, that they are intended, intended for life abundant, no matter how messy their life is right now, no matter how big a mess they are right now, that there is a life for them that is not just about survival, but is about thriving. We have two teenage boys that gunned down Isaac Reed on 42nd Street just a few days ago. Death in their eyes. They just couldn't believe that anything better could be for them. And as he pled with them, telling them, I'm in front of my babies here, please don't do it, they pulled out a gun. His message didn't even register because they couldn't believe. They couldn't believe that there could be anything more for them. We have... Xavier Joy, who was gunned down at 62nd and Ingleside, not that long ago either. A young man whose heart was committed to the wellness of this community. Police say it's probably over a cell phone. Someone who was committing, committing their life to speak life into this world. And it'd be easy to say, oh, you know, it's just too much. This spirit of death is too big in this city. But you know what? Xavier Joy's choice to come back and be here even if it did end with his life in a senseless killing, is a source of hope for us because he made a choice to come back. And we can make a choice to keep coming back, to keep choosing to speak life into our communities rather than fleeing and leaving others to die. We have a choice to commit ourselves to God's life-giving work here in this city. We have to practice courage in exercising that choice. Who are you speaking life into? How are you sharing with authenticity and with courage? How are you lifting up? How are you giving access to God's healing work? You have a story of love to tell. You have a message of life to share. And there are people who need, who need to hear it. In fact, their very lives may depend on it. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your love story and for your wholeness message. We give you thanks that you don't give up, that you don't quit, that you don't walk away, but that you stay close to us. And we ask, God, that in our places of healing and maybe even our places of gratitude, we might forward that message, that we might lift you up in sharing the message of wholeness of life for all, in sharing the story of your love in our lives as it has taken shape in the hopes that maybe it might help someone else begin to see life for their own. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, please mention my name. When you talk to your mother today Life down here feels so strained My brokenness is in the way I'm not that good Don't pray like I should Yet I'm amazed you get me through 
She sees me, but she hears you. She hears you. That's why I need you. Jesus, please mention my name. See, I got some bad news today. Be nice if you could carry this way. See, it's got me questioning my faith. What else to do? The safest place to hide is you. You are the door I now walk through. He sees me because he hears you. He hears you. You. That's why I need you. Can't help but love you, you, Jesus. I appreciate 